Hello, everyone. Thank you for watching another episode of The Naturalist Capitalist. I know a lot of you have been looking forward to this episode, and you didn't believe me that I actually had this guest, but I actually had her on last year before she was like a huge deal. But you've uh, you've really become something over the last year, Kim. It's been it's been crazy watching. You're on the hill. I've seen you on Tim Pool. I just got a shout out on Joe Rogan. So what's yeah, going on? You're just you're just blowing up all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, this week has been this week has been particularly cool. Just having you know, of course, uh, Joe Rogan and James Lindsay have a little conversation about me, which was really cool. Um, you know, it's it's nice to know that people are watching. And then also, I was on Glenn Beck's show yesterday, which was interesting. Yeah, I saw that too. <laughs> on different sides of the aisle, typically. I mean, now I'm more of an independent. I don't even know how I'd classify myself anymore politically, but um, you know, I I definitely have not been one who ever really agreed with Glenn Beck. But it's been it was really nice, and he's a nice guy. And uh, so it was on his show yesterday, and so that was pretty cool. And I just flew back in, so I'm sorry I'm late. I just flew. Back in from Idaho, I was um, I, I flew to Idaho last week, about a little over a week ago, because my my uh, dad had COVID. He caught it actually while he was here in L.A. And we didn't know. Of course, we didn't know anybody was sick with COVID. And we put him on a plane and flew him home. And then like two days later, everybody got sick here in L.A. And he, of course, then was sick there. And he was fine for a while. It was like the sniffles. And then he got like the flu. And he's in his mid seventies and he lives alone. And you know, when you've got like 102 degree temperature and you're not feeling good, you, you just don't have the wherewithal, the energy to get up and get water and get yourself, you know, the things you need. And so I flew, I flew back, back up there to, to quarantine with him and to be his nurse, you know, to make sure he got the fluids and everything he needed. And so I've been stuck in Idaho and then he finally got better it, it, he was like down for like three days, two, two and a half, three days. And then um, he got better. He tested negative. And then I tested and I continued to test negative throughout so that I could get home <laughs> so I could fly yeah. back to L.A. So I'm back and everybody is over COVID and I never and I didn't catch it. <laughs> wow, that's quite a story. So yeah. like uh, la last year when I had you on, I think it was February. And I think a couple more people were starting to say, okay, these lockdowns were dumb and we shouldn't have done this. But you were like on the front lines of that. You were the only like left-wing person I remember being against it from the beginning. Maybe someone else was, but you're the only one I remember. Um, so does that, do you feel uh, exonerated now? Like with everything that's gone on and uh, how like every, every the narrative uh, is just falling apart and everything they've told us has turned out to be false as far as, you know, like what the country would be looking like now. And I mean, how do you feel looking back? Well, I don't, you know, I, you know, I, I, yeah, I feel, I feel really good, obviously now, especially with like Joe Rogan giving me the shout out being on, you know, and that was, that's, that's, it is, it's vindicating, I guess, to have, to get the notoriety. The thing is, is that when it was happening, so when I was the only, and I really think at the time I was the only left-wing person, the only so-called progressive, right? I, right? I had identified as a progressive that actually was against the lockdowns. And everybody else was taking the tone of, if you're against the lockdowns, you're for Wall Street, right? You're for helping the corporate masters. Uh, you just want people to get back to work for the corporate overlords. And I was saying, 
no, guys, you have it all wrong. That's backwards. That's not, you're not helping the corporations. They're going to be fine no matter what. You're destroying the mom and pop shops. You're destroying the small business people. You're destroying the, the workers, the poor. That's who's going to suffer from this. It's not going to be the rich. And I think I was at the time the only one. I do think that there were a few that started flipping kind of um, faster, you know, but- right. But, um, it, you know, some faster than others, some still haven't really flipped from that, right? Some are still on that bandwagon. And I will say that I had many conversations. My dad, my dad is my big, um, he's like my pseudo producer in a lot of ways. Like he watches all the shows and he's a real big progressive hippie guy. And I, I remember distinctly having many conversations with him where I said, I'm going to go down for this and I'm never going to recover. I'm never going to recover for, but, but what am I supposed to do? I can't lie. I'm not going to say something I don't believe. This is what I believe. And I'm going to go down for this because at the end of the day, like who remembers the anti Iraq war voices, you know, they got right. shoved aside, they got fired and they lost their careers. And that was it. And the people that were pro-war, um, they got to keep their jobs. They remained big. They eventually got to apologize or say, oh, I was wrong. And they and then they marched on like as if nothing happened. But the people that spoke out against the Iraq war, they were they lost their jobs and they never fully recovered. And I just really thought that was it for me. I just thought that's the way I'm going to go. I mean, but what am I going to do about it? You know, so uh, I now looking back, especially this week with having a lot of growth and and of course being on the hill has been really uh, an amazing opportunity and they don't censor me at all uh and i i mean i don't know how long it's gonna last i mean they might just like <laughs> it's pretty incredible <laughs> so far i gotta say i, I can't believe it but. <laughs> i mean it's like any minute now they're gonna come around and be like no more you're done <laughs> you know? but for now you know they're letting me do it so um i i feel now i i'm amazed that it, it did turn around for me and that it did work out for me um, to, to a degree. I mean, I'm not rich, but it worked out for me as far as like, I'm, I'm somebody that people are listening to rather than just getting shoved aside. And, and just like a lot of people that were very much against the Iraq war, what, you know, that's what I'm kind of liking it, liking it to. So I, yeah, I feel, I obviously I feel vindicated in that. Um, when, if you look back at July and August in particular, when I was on the Hill in the beginning and I was saying the vaccines don't stop the spread, I was immediately like, there was like one episode where my co-host at the time was, it was Ryan Grimm and Alyssa Farah. And Alyssa Farah said, right when I said, well, we know now that, that you know, the data is very clear from Israel that the vaccines don't stop the spread. And she goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Right. And they both yeah, like jumped clip. on me yeah. and they were like, <laughs> they do stop the spread it is what it, and she and she even said it, it's zero percent chance you're going to get sick you're you know if you get the vaccine zero percent chance you will die or be hospitalized and i was like the data doesn't show that and that was before israel gave out the the booster now they're giving out the fourth booster but this was when they only had done the two doses and they'd found out that no it wears off and and um you know, so yeah, of course, now looking and then, you know, uh, she goes and gets a job at CNN. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, which of the two of us gets a job at CNN? You know, the supposedly credible news organization. 
Yeah. Well, you know how hard it is to accurately describe something about Israel on mainstream media with, <laughs> you know, without people saying, no, 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 that's not right, regardless of what it is. But yeah, well, um, but, you know, I and I'm a big critic of Israel as a country and what they've done to Palestine. But yeah, I um, but there's no doubt that their data when it comes to COVID has been phenomenal. I mean, they've kept yeah. very, very great you know, track of everything. Now, there is they are still under a kind of a gag order with Pfizer. So they did do a deal with them. And there's a lot of there's a lot that they're not allowed to disclose that we don't know what that is. But but they've they've still been very forthcoming and they've given us really great data. And because they've been on the forefront of jabbing everybody and and doing it early and and often now they're on their fourth dose, we're getting a lot of data out of them. So it's they're really great. And they're actually really great to compare to Palestine because Palestinians are not taking the vaccine at the same rate the Israelis are. And you can actually compare the um, case rates and the death rates and the hospitalization rates. And what's really interesting is you don't see much of a difference. And the Palestinians are not vaccinated really at all. Right. And so that kind of makes you question, you know, what's what? Yeah. Yeah. I just I want to play just like a 30 second clip here of uh, a great segment you did on the Hill the other day. And then I just want to talk about it. So here we go. They flat out refused to focus on any of this. They instead swore if we all got the vaccine, the pandemic would end. Well, it didn't end. Everyone is catching COVID. People who got double vaxxed and triple vaxxed and wore double masks and kept their kids out of school and gave up Christmas with family and even worse, gave up being with their loved ones by their side as they breathed their last breaths because they weren't allowed to be next to them are catching COVID. Everyone is catching COVID. And as people are catching it, they're starting to realize they have no tools left in their toolkit. Somebody tell me, what are you supposed to do when you catch COVID? Seriously, can you answer that question? Besides quarantining yourself and wishing you were vaccinated more than you already are, what are you supposed to do? Uh, I think you just uh, hit the nail on the head with that. And this is a huge problem that not a lot of people have been talking about, but it should be extremely obvious. There's not any treatment for once you get COVID or, I mean, there is, but you're not supposed to talk about it and it's not advertise like what you're supposed to do. So we have so many people who are getting really sick because even though they could have had a more mild case or whatever, and they could have dealt with it, they end up not treating themselves. And then they end up having to go to the hospital. And like you said, you have, they have family members who are terrified to go in the same room as them and help them. Yeah. It's just a disaster. But uh, I don't know what, what else do you want to say about that? Like, I mean, it's just, it's, it's insane. Yeah, it's really, uh, I think that what has gone on with everybody catching COVID now, no matter what their vaccination status is, is that it's really shine a light on this problem that they just have not given us any guidance at all. And even if they don't want to give us access to treatments or if they don't want to study treatments like ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, whatever it is, right? Like all of these different drugs that they've demonized or that they don't want to explore, um, they should have at least given us some other type of protocol, right? They should have at least given us a worksheet of, what to do when a loved one gets COVID. And it could have been as simple as, um, you know, wearing N95 masks all day, every day, and even in your sleep, you know, whatever it yeah. is, they're gonna tell, at least something. And then say, dose up with vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, you know, even if they don't want to go in the direction of, of these other drugs that I'm talking about. But, you know, they even, they even demonized vitamin D. If you remember this, I actually did an episode on vitamin D back in May of 2020 when the virus was just out and they actually labeled it misinformation. It got flagged. It was demonetized when I talked about vitamin D showing to be 
beneficial against COVID. They demonize that. I mean, it, so it's not even about the horse medicine or, you know, the other, uh, the parasitic drugs or whatever. It's even vitamin D they didn't want people knowing about. And that is now becoming very apparent to people who are getting the virus after they were told that they weren't going to catch it if they got the vaccine and they weren't going to catch it if they got boosted. And then they caught it anyway. And they're sick. I mean, the people I'm seeing, um, it seems like now the vaccine might help you avoid the worst of the outcomes, right? It might help you avoid ICU or hospitalization or death. But what I'm seeing in my own anecdotal world, you know, just my firsthand experience is that no matter the vaccination status of the person, be they double jabbed, triple jabbed or unjabbed, people are getting sick with COVID. I mean, it's putting, it's like flattening them. They're going to bed and they're in bed for days, two, three, four days. They're like down with the flu. And you know what? They're scared. So even if they don't get to a level of they're going to need hospitalization, they're still scared because they've been hearing fear-mongered message, messaging all throughout the news this entire time. So they're frightened and they're in bed and they're thinking, oh my God, am I going to get worse? Am I going to have to go to the hospital? And the only thing their family can do if they've got family there to help them at all is give them chicken noodle soup and some NyQuil and, you know, sometimes they just, the fact that they haven't allowed us anything. And even the studies with like ivermectin, you know, even, even the worst studies that they say, well, it doesn't help. And then you point to the study and they say, see, it only reduces your like a 20% or 30% or negligible. And it's like, that's still better than nothing. But they're not even willing to explore it. And now here we are with everybody catching the virus, no matter their vaccination status. And what are you, what are you supposed to do? And, and then to say to people, well, at least you won't die because you're vaccinated. And they're like sick in bed for three days. You know, and and not only that, but it's not totally true because vaccinated people also do end up in the hospital and do die. And that is another, I think, crime against humanity is just this narrative of if you're vaccinated, you're not going to die. You're not going to go to the hospital. That's not true. And, you know, there was a time when, um, you know, especially at the beginning when I was on the Hill, my co-host who felt very passionately in the other direction um, off the air at one point said to me, don't you think your message is dangerous? You know, you're leading people to believe that the vaccine doesn't work. And I said to them, no, I think your message is dangerous because you're leading them to believe if they get the vaccine, they're free and clear. And that's not the data that's out there. And you're not it. So it's it's actually, I think, dangerous to make a person believe if they're vaccinated, they're totally in the free and clear and they're never going to get sick and they're not going to end up in the hospital and they're not going to end up dead. And the fact is, if you're a very vulnerable person, you could still end up in that bad situation no matter what. And they're not on it, but they weren't honest about any of that with us. And that has left people feeling very frustrated. That has left people feeling deceived by our government, by these health officials. And, um, you know, I, I hope that there is some accountability for this at some point, but I don't know if there will be. Yeah. So what do you think the goal is here? I mean, I'm I'm a little uh, a bit of a conspiratorial mind, so. Um, I think, you know, the end goal here is to set up a kind of permanent track and trace system and a vaccine passport where they can really track your health records and your, I mean, just everything about you more easily than they already can. Do you feel, uh, do you share any of those worries or do you think that they're just idiots or what do you think is going on here? Well, okay. So if I'm going to put on my real conspiracy hat for a minute. 
you're on the right <laughs> show. Allow, so. If you'll allow me to <laughs> Yeah. So I have no evidence of this. This is just pure conjecture, right? Like I, I'm just, if I were to just put on a conspiracy theory hat, um, I would really be closely watching China on this one. And I would be saying that, you know, here you've got a country that, so, so the United States has been like the big world um, power for a while. And the way the United States becomes the world power and maintains world power is through aggression, right? Or through bullying or through threatening in some way, sanctioning, uh, yeah. making, you know, right. That's, that's the way the United, that's the United States method. Well, um, as somebody myself who is half Asian, and I'll, I'll pull the Asian card on this one, <laughs> the Asian brain, the, the way, and so we're playing checkers and that's like the, the, you know, the bully way I'm going to take your lunch money. If you don't do what I say, sort of met methodology is how the United States has done it through, and, you know, and maybe even some ways that seemed clever, like, okay, we'll, we'll get inside forces, you know, we'll put in the CIA, uh, get them to kind of create unrest and then there'll be a coup and it'll come from the inside. And we didn't have to do it. We don't have to march in military people. So, you know, that seems to be kind of the clever way to do it. But the the Chinese are very smart and they play a long game and they're not playing checkers. They're not even playing chess. They're playing a very complicated game of Go, and which is a very complex game. And um, if you were a very, very smart Chinese strategist. You would say the way to break down your enemy is not through any sort of warfare at all. You wouldn't do it the way they do it. You would play a totally different game. And so I would think that the Chinese, you know, let's say that the lab leak theory is true, that they did leak this, that they were playing around with this virus. They then leaked the virus. Um, and let's say that that leak was intentional and not unintentional, but an actual intentional act. And if you look at it from that lens, it all kind of becomes a little bit um, more, I, like kind of believable, like all of it starts to make a little bit of sense. So, so let's say they did it intentionally. And then what we saw right away was suddenly they did this kind of crazy lockdown and people were in bubble suits and they were spraying everything down and they, you know, they locked their country down very hard in order to freak, and that freaked everybody else out. So suddenly when we saw China behave the way they did, the rest of the world started to say, oh my gosh, we have to lock down. We have to do, you know, we have to shut everything down. We have to close everybody up. And oddly during this time, China was the only country that somehow over the last two years has not had any more real serious outbreaks of the virus. Every other country has been hit hard, no matter what they did, but China and on top of it, every other country has been, you know, uh, debilitated, like their GDP has gone down, except China, right? They've increased, they've done well, and nobody else in the world has. And so you look at it from like, maybe this was a form, their own form of warfare, where they were like, we could just do this and attack the world. And they're going to scramble, they're not going to know what to do. And the reason why they knew they could pull this off is because They've got controls over their population that we don't allow over here because we're freedom loving people. And the Chinese are not as much. They're collectivists. They work like they operate as one. The mindset is very different. Yeah. The mindset is different in general in Asia and Asian, even in Asian families like myself being half white, half Asian. The 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 actual just internal structure of the family is very different. Asians operate very much for the benefit of each other and 
whites operate, you know, more Caucasians operate um, for the benefit of individuality. It's mm -hmm. you, you go be who you, you know, my dad, for example, would tell me, be anything you want to be, do what makes you happy. That's like a very kind of Caucasian Western thing to say to a child, be, do what makes you happy, be who you want, live life, right? Asian says, <laughs> that doesn't matter. Do what <laughs> you do, what's best for us collectively, mm. for the family. Um, so the mentality is different. So, so China has been able to get its stranglehold on a lot of the, the Western um, sectors. So they have bought like all of the AMC theaters. They own Legendary Entertainment. They own the Waldorf Astoria. They own tons of farmland in the United States. They own a lot. And even if they don't own the entity, they still have a big influence over like Nike and right, like all of these manufacturers because they're based out of China or they want the they want the sales in China. So they've been able to kind of infiltrate us over the last 30 years when it comes to industry. And we've seen this increase. So you kind of follow me on all this. This is like a lot of pieces coming together. There's been this increase of uh, a narrative in our in our culture of now to, you know, censor like the censorship's okay if it's because mm -hmm. you've got to stop misinformation. And now we've kind of even seen ourselves marching towards like wanting to issue almost like social credit scores. I mean, they're basically saying, you know, if you're not going to get the vaccine, then you are now this person that should be excluded from society. That is essentially, you know, China has a social credit score system where they, they follow you and your habits and your behavior and they, and you're either rewarded or you're or you're punished for your life choices, and that's kind of what we're starting to see the psychological, you know, implementation here in the United States. And so, I kind of wonder if I were going to be really conspiratorial on this, if all of this was like a giant, like a really really sophisticated and very intelligent and very smart way to attack the West. And it's to, it, it's to attack us with the virus, make us really afraid, and then get us to shift our, our mindset to where we become more like China rather than forcing China to become like us. Cause that's always been the West's way of being is like, we're going to go around and spread democracy. We're going to go around and, you know, cause that's why we wage all the wars. It's for that. It's like, we're going to spread democracy. We're going to turn you into, um, you know, we're going to give you Western values. And it's almost like China said, no, we're going to show you why our way of doing things is actually better and why you're going to want to be more like us. And we're going to we're basically going to coerce you into it using this very different tactic. You didn't even realize you didn't even see it coming. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, because if you're going to be a world dominating power and if you want to overtake the United States, you've got to be able to play the game, you know, so they know they could just buy us because our, everything in the United States is for sale, including politicians, companies, everything's for sale. So if you just bought off, if you just bought everything so that you had all the influence, then you could then shift everything towards your way without even making the demand. Because we do it, when we do it, the United States does it, we demand, right? We tell countries, do it or else. And if you're going to be smarter than us, then you wouldn't even need to make the demand. You would, you would make, it's like the wife that always 
you know, tries to, you know, it's like the age old trick that wives have of like, make it seem like it's his idea. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I mean, it's it, like, it all makes sense the way right. you lay it up there. Yeah. They figured out how to make it our own idea. And they're like, it'll be your idea to become this more collectivist society that operates the way China operates, where you're in favor of lockdowns and you say, screw your individual freedom. You know, it's about community. And, yeah. you know, you, you're just, you know, oh, freedom, you know, and, and they've act, and you see them saying this, you see them saying like, oh, look at all those freedom lovers, like freedom. And it's like, oh, my gosh, people died for freedom. Yes, I'm willing to die for freedom. Mm -hmm. I know you think that's crazy, but I that's I thought that was kind of like the thing. <laughs> the know? thing here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The thing you would um, die for is for freedom. Yeah. So are you surprised to see the left uh, just kind of go all in on the authoritarianism and the censorship and everything? Because I'm yeah, I'm honestly not like I mean, I would have been 20 years ago if I were older and paying attention to what were going on back then. Um, but like the last, I don't know, 10 years, it, it seems to have been the trajectory the left has been moving in anyways. Like they, it seems like they used to be for tolerance and inclusion of more thought. And then once they kind of reached the peak, they just kept going and became like, okay, now this is what we think. And you can't have your own opinion anymore. And, you know, like if you um, if you're one of these extreme right wingers or whatever, you're actually a danger to society and you're slowing us down. And so I'm not like super surprised to see where they ended up. But uh, I was wondering if you are. Yeah, I guess I, I'm more naive than you are, I guess. <laughs> because, yes, I'm surprised. I'm very surprised. Um, I, I always thought being a liberal, which I've always considered myself to be meant live and let live, you know, let people live how they want to live. And if it, even if you disagree with it, you disagree with their lifestyle, you don't, you don't want to live like them, fine, but just live and let live because that's how it should be. And it was always this kind of fight against the right, who was always trying to control society using like their Puritan moral, um, you know, they were like, oh, you can't be gay, you can't have gay marriage. Right. Like I grew up in Idaho where even today, like liquor, you can't buy liquor except from a state-run liquor store. I when I was Utah, so I feel you. <laughs> yeah, and, and also like when I was a kid growing up, I, I think that bars weren't allowed to be open on Sundays. You know, it's just like yeah, the, and dancing wasn't allowed on Sundays, so nightclubs had to be shut down. Like anything, any place that had dancing, you know, it's just very Puritan and Christian, and they would use that to rule society. And that was being a liberal was being against that to say let people live how they want to live. And yeah, it, it did go it, it like that was achieved. And then it went further and it was like, no, now you have to live the way I want you to live. And it's like, wait a minute. I thought that's what I was against. Yeah. Yeah. I, w I was like coming of age around the time that the equality had been achieved or like the, the tolerance had been achieved. So I've been in the game, like, from that point to where the left started getting nuts. So, I mean, I remember as a kid, the, the right wing dominated culture. Um, and I, I guess like the most surprising thing to me about the left has been with science because I mean, I, I've had so many arguments in the past with like the hard right evangelical, you know, crazy people. And I, I mean, they would just drive me insane, but now talking to, 
an average liberal about coronavirus is it's actually more baffling, I think, because, you know, with uh, with uh, conservatives, it was more like talking about evolution or something. Right. But with <laughs> with liberals, it's like you can literally see this right now. And you still I don't know. That's what the biggest thing to me has been, I think. Well, the difference is, is that, you know, because I like again, like, I, you know, I grew up in Idaho where there was this debate about evolution versus, um, you know, like the, should they teach the Big Bang Theory in class right. versus teaching about, you know, God and this and and the creation, uh, creationism versus like evolution. And the thing, the difference is, is that the right never claimed to be science based. So they never made sure. the statement of like, we're based on science and science says God made everything in seven days. They never said that. They said, no, we're, we believe we're faith-based and we believe in this, the Bible and the Bible says, this is what happened. And so because we believe in this and this is the word of God, that is what it is. So that's why it's so odd. I think with the left is that they claim to be science-based and then they totally and completely defy science. So that I think that's been my personal biggest issue with the left is just the hypocrisy. I'm like, look, the right doesn't in some ways are hip you know, there's definitely ways that the right has been hypocritical, especially when there's especially in the 90s when they were very um, still holding on to this like Puritan, you know, we're all about family values and and they would you know, point the finger and demonize somebody who had an affair. And then you find out that they're like having tons of oh, affairs. Yeah. <laughs> so there was always that like layer of, of, you know, being a hypocrite or they'd say, I'm a Christian and I love everybody. And then you'd see them being demonized, you know, demonizing people and hating people. And it was like, I thought Jesus was all about loving people. And then there you are pointing the finger and throwing, you know, throwing stones. Yeah. Um, so they were, they, so they too had their, their time. But the, the thing that's been interesting is that the right, you know, Republicans and the right have shifted away from religion, especially as the younger the younger um, generations have come come of age, is that they just don't believe in it as much anymore. And so the right had to shift kind of away from the religious narrative. I mean, there's definitely still some very conservative Christian Republicans are still a lot of them, but they're fading. And mm -hmm. so you don't hear that as much in the policy. You don't hear it as much. You know, it's almost odd to hear them talking about God. I mean, you never heard Trump talk about God. And if he did, it would be like, what? <laughs> it was hilarious the few times he did. So Yeah, I mean, it's, right, it's comical. But the left, so the left has kind of taken on that mantle. You know, they, it's like they picked up the torch and they ran with it when the right kind of put it down. Mm -hmm. And they're now saying, oh, we're all about science. We're all, you know, science is their God. But yeah. then they but then just like religious people would say they were about God and Christ and then they would throw stones and demonize and hate people. Now the left is kind of doing the same sort of hypocritical stuff where they are saying, oh, we're all about science. And then they do the most anti-science stuff. Yeah, I mean, they literally remind me of the church in the dark ages. You know, if yeah. there's a dissenter, you're excommunicated for heresy. <laughs> it's like exactly yeah, the same. Yeah. Thing. It's kind of nuts. Um, yeah. Do you think it's like kind of ironic? I mean, we were talking earlier about how uh, when you were against the lockdowns from the beginning, you were pointing out that you were the one standing up for mom and pop stores and the middle class and, you know, the poor where the left, like almost unanimously got in line with the lockdowns and, you know, is now like pushing big pharma 
on people. Like, I mean, I, I remember in 2019, big pharma was the enemy of the people needed to be blown into a million pieces, disintegrated, never put back together. And now a lot of leftists don't think you should have basic human rights if you don't inject a pharmaceutical product into your body. And also the my body, my choice thing, you know, that's another one that's just like, I mean, everything is just, I mean, I, I, I'm not surprised, but it's so like, it's so ironic. It's just infuriating. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it, it really is. It is it's been a, it's been really, I mean, I really, I was amazed. I was honestly shocked and horrified that I was the only person on the left, like the only self-identified progressive who was against the lockdowns. I couldn't believe it. I really, I was in shock that I was alone. Um, and I, I, I just didn't understand. And then I would see them kind of, you know, they wouldn't say my name specifically, but they'd kind of, you know, point at me and rag on me and say like, well, some, you know, are thinking Sweden's doing the right thing. And I'm, cause I was like all about like Sweden is yeah. there. That's like freedom. That's being a progressive is the way Sweden did it. And then they would, and then they almost flipped the script and they made Sweden sound like, you know, Sweden of all places, they made it Sweden seem like it was like a right winger's dream. And it's like, do you understand like Sweden where people, I mean, high taxation, it's like a socialist capitalist mixed economy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's a right winger's dream. I mean, it's insane. You know, prior to the pandemic, Sweden was the gold standard of what you'd want the economy to run like if you were a progressive, you wanted Sweden, you wanted to be like Sweden, you'd point to the Scandinavian countries. And then the Scandinavian country said, we believe that it is anti-democratic to force people into doing anything, that it must be the choice of the people. And that was somehow right wing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So before 2020, I was a pretty moderate libertarian. I actually, like you, I supported Tulsi Gabbard in 2020 because I just thought, you know, she was best on the most important issues. But back then I was like, you know, we just need smaller government and these government programs. We don't need to get rid of them, but we just need to streamline them and put better people in charge. The last two years has just turned me into an abolitionist. Like, I just want to get rid of everything. I don't trust any centralized power to run anything anymore. I was wondering if you've gone through any fundamental transformations in the way you think just after seeing how the government and the pharmaceutical companies and everything handled this. Has it shattered or shaken any of your um any other way you thought back in like 2019 yeah you know i was actually thinking about this this morning um in particular in regards to medicare for all so um because then i you know when i think about medicare for all my my gut reaction right now you know or just my like knee-jerk reaction i should say is I don't want it anymore because I'm afraid the government's going to use it right. to like force me into doing things I don't want to do. Like now that I've seen how the government behaves, um, you know, because I didn't think this was possible. I just didn't think that they would behave this way. I've been very, very shocked and disappointed in my fellow Americans and how they have just completely become, you know, shown themselves as authoritarian, totalitarian, you know. So uh, but then I thought, well, no, I think I think you know, so as long as it's implemented in a way, you know, the, the problem is not the concept of Medicare for all. I think everybody, you know, I want my tax dollars to go towards, not towards war, not towards enriching politicians, but towards services that make my community better, 
that, you know, I do think we should have some military protection for sure, but I also think we should have education and healthcare and nice communities and, you know, public services like libraries and museums and things like this. And so it's not a matter of, of actually the service. It's a matter of who's in charge of the service. And so we've just got to get somehow the government back in the hands of the people rather than this, you know, government at the, you know, right now the government is working at the behest of large corporations and it's don't, you know, whoever their donors are and the loudest in the room. And because of that, we're not able to trust anything, any government institution, but it's like, I don't trust the military, the American military right now. That doesn't mean I want to get rid of it. I do think that we need to have protection. I, I don't think that the concept of a community force that protects this, you know, the, the nation is a bad idea. It's how it's implemented, who is in charge, who has the influence over it. So it again boils down to what I've always been about and what I always felt like made me a progressive, which was we've got to get money out of politics. We've mm. got to reduce the amount of influence that uh, these big corporations and just big special interests have over our politicians. And if we could do that, if we can wrestle our government back into the hands of the people, then I think we can have all of these many services that make us a nation rather than just, you know, uh, um, people living amongst one another, you know, without any cohesion whatsoever. So I think it really boils down to just, you know, you're, you're as corrupt as, you know, I mean, the, the government is right now really corrupt, I think, and even exposing itself to be more corrupt. So we just somehow have to get control over that. So do you think the tendency is for it to just fall right back to the way it is again, though? Yeah. So we'd have to work extra. We'd have to first, like, be extra aware of it. And then we would have to somehow, uh, I mean, it's it's really tough to go against these guys, right? These big money interests are really powerful, obviously. Yeah, so I feel like the, I mean, the the money in politics, the corporations and the government um, like, I, I don't think you can just like get rid of the corporate influence on the government. I think as long as the government has the power, it does, especially over the economy, you'll just have the corporations, con even if it's illegal, they'll figure out some way to end up buying off politicians regardless. I'm at the point like I'm for secession, honestly. <laughs> I mean, I don't see any way around it anymore because I don't like even if we elected you know, a hundred Rand Pauls to the Senate. Like, I don't think it would matter. I mean, I don't think that we have any control over the beast anymore. I mean, it's, it's APAC and it's, you know, like you said, corporations and weapons contractors. And I just don't see any other way than, you know, um, like there's the, uh, the defend the guard act that a lot of States are trying to sponsor or a lot of people in a lot of States are trying to sponsor. And what that does is it doesn't allow, the federal government to send any troops to war unless they actually declare war or sorry to send any national guard troops to war unless they actually make a declaration of war so things like that that the states can do to kind of constrain washington that's the that's really like the only way i see out of it at this point because i don't think number one i don't think we can vote our way out of it anyway uh but number two like even if we could i mean how do we convince <laughs> the Americans to do it at this point. Like they're so lost. I mean, no one has any clue what's going on. 
Um, you know, not enough people watch you on uh, Rising to get red pilled on all this stuff. So I don't know. That's where I am. But. <laughs> so let me ask you this: If so, if you're for secession, like who, which states, like uh, where, what would the map look like? Um, so I don't think that necessarily means like half and half. I, I, I'm from New Hampshire, and New Hampshire actually uh, was some some uh, representatives from New Hampshire were just sponsoring a bill. I think it was today or yesterday to secede from the federal government. So, I mean, I don't know, like if New Hampshire did it and then Texas did it and Florida did it and I don't know, you know, Idaho, whatever, just one at a time and they would lose their federal funds. But at this point, if you're a state that's sort of self-sufficient, I'm not sure that would be a bad trade-off because the reason California can keep being so ridiculous or the reason New York can keep being so ridiculous is because the rest of the states are propping them up. You know, the Federal Reserve is bailing them out and it's screwing over everybody else. So if you were finally like, all right, you know what, we're done bailing out New York and we realize we're not going to get FEMA aid or anything like that anymore. But, you know, we have a pretty solid economy in this state and we want to go ahead with this. I don't know. I'm at least for like pushing the Overton window in that direction, even if it doesn't actually happen, just to try to get people thinking about ways to, um, you know, remove the support of the federal government that the states are constantly giving, I guess. It would be really problematic. I mean, I mean, I guess it could be done, but you've got a problem with the ports because you need the ports. So, you know, like if the if the West were to to secede, so Washington, Oregon, California, you'd lose all of the Western ports for the right. and the exports. But, you know, Texas and Florida still have ports, I suppose, but they also have hurricanes, which make it which make it um, pretty difficult to actually get imports and exports out during certain times of year. The um, other thing is when you I mean, just because you secede doesn't mean you like go to war or hate each other like no it, you could be like situation and they're having a real issue with imports and exports right like they mm -hmm. don't know what they're doing in, in regards to that they're having an issue so even if you're yeah you could still obviously you would need to make um you need to remain friends with your neighbors so that you can have those Trade imports and all that stuff yeah yeah but i mean think about like radical liberal california and washington and oregon and what they would do to the rest of the country you know, like if, if Idaho and Montana and Wyoming and Utah wanted to secede and and become like it's, a, you know, and then Washington, Oregon and California would be able to just sanction the hell out of them and be like, do what we want or else you're not going to get these imports or exports. Yeah, I think at the same time, though, without the federal government's help, because you'd have these states breaking off and seceding. California, Oregon, and Washington, they'd have to stop being ridiculous because they wouldn't have all that funding that they've had to bail them out throughout all this. So they'd have to be friendly with the inland states because they'd have to trade. They'd want people to come there. They'd want commerce. So I just feel like decentralizing actually force, it would force the states to get along better than they do now. Like right now, you know, California is upset that the rest of the country isn't doing the same thing they are. And they actually have some power in trying to make the whole country do that because they got two senators and however many uh, representatives where if they didn't have any power over any of the other states, 
I mean, a lot of their regulations would have to loosen up. They'd have to be like, all right, you know, truck drivers, if you want to come here, we're not going to enforce this dumb uh, owner operator law that we've had because, you know, suddenly no one's going to come here anymore. They can go around to another state or whatever. I just feel like the more it separates, the more they'd have to try to work together than they do now. Because right now you don't really have a choice. Like you're all in the same country. You can't like refuse to cooperate. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to know unless it actually happened, but. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, um, I think we're fine the way we are. I, I, <laughs> I think we're I, okay. I didn't think I'd hear you say that tonight. <laughs> yeah. I think we're okay. I think what I like, I, I will say what, what the pandemic has done to me personally, politically, I suppose has, it's made me way more appreciative of the Federation and that mm -hmm. we are a federation because I do like to have the option of moving out of California and going to Texas or Florida, or, you know, I really enjoy going home to Idaho where, you know, people aren't, they're not wearing masks anywhere. It's like right. they're, they're way back to normal in Idaho, whereas California is very much not back to normal. Um, and so I really appreciate that we're a federation and that we, and, and I also, you know, I think I've become more, I suppose more conservative. I don't know. I guess in the fe in the fact that I I really am more of a states rights person now than I've ever mm -hmm. been, um, and also I'm I'm totally you know I'm 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 also for the Senate the way the Senate is, and I'm not interested in changing the Senate and making the Senate representative of the people. I think the Senate should represent the states equally, and each state should be represented equally, which means two senators per state. And I do think that there should be uh, a filibuster for the minority to be able to do, you know, the, the minority to be able to flex some muscle. Yeah. So I think it's made me more, you know, kind of against those more radical ideas that Democrats have adopted to change mm -hmm. systems too much. I like, I like that the, uh, the more populated states like California and New York do not have power over the, the smaller, less populated states like Idaho. Yeah. Well, that's kind of diet secession, like going back to states' rights, moving out of these horrible states and, you know, protecting the uh, the checks and balances like the Senate and the filibuster. I mean, I would take that, too, if we can actually make it happen. It just seems like it's continually eroded. Although, to your point, like over the last year and a half or two years now, I think a lot of people have started realizing the value of those things. Because, you know, um, I don't know, before this, there wasn't any real threat that people could see. Like they might have been scared of gun control or environmental regulations or something. But now it's like, oh, you can go to the grocery store without having a vaccine. So like it's actually real. I don't know. It's like made people a lot more aware of all that stuff. Yeah. You know, just like in Idaho, you don't have to show your vaccine passport to go anywhere. And I was actually sitting next to a gentleman on the plane who was coming here to L.A. to visit. And I said to him, get your Vax passport ready because you can't go into any restaurants without it. And he goes, what am I going to do? I'm not vaccinated. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I was like, <laughs> I taught him all the ways around it. I mean, here in L.A., it's <laughs> kind of well, because it's, it's a little ridiculous because it's just L.A. city proper that has the Vax mandate. But if you cross the street, you're not in L.A. city proper anymore. You're in some other city. You're in Santa Monica suddenly or you're in, you know, where and then you don't have the Vax mandate anymore. I mean, it's just like really ridiculous. So I just said, just avoid L.A. city proper and you'll be fine. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I do think that I appreciate way more states rights, states having 
govern it. You know, they need to be able to govern themselves. And I've lived all around the country. I've lived in Idaho, Utah, New York, Illinois, Indiana, Texas, California, North, Northern California, Southern California. I've lived in also in Europe, France and Italy. And, um, and I, you know, people are very, very different in all parts of the country and they should not be governed collectively as one from some people in Washington who are majority Californians <laughs> and, and New Yorkers. I mean, they just have no business governing people in Idaho or Indiana or Texas. And I really appreciate the, the Federation a lot more. So I guess in a way that's made me more conservative, I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm not yeah. married to the party, so I, it doesn't bother me. There's a lot of progressives that, you know, because I, I announced I was going to, and I mean it, I'm going to vote straight Republican this year. I don't care who's on the ballot. I'm just Republican. I, I live in California. It's insane here. Democrats mm. need some power. Um, I don't care if I don't even agree with the Republican really on anything, as long as they're against the mandates and as long as they're going to challenge and bring balance to the government here. We need balance. We need, you know, it's just they've run amok. And so people have said, other progressives, they say, see, see, we, uh, she's a Republican. She's going to vote Republican. And I'm like, why do they think they're owning me by saying this? You know, I don't know why they think that's like some sort of a gotcha. You know, there you are. You're showing yourself. You're actually a right winger. I don't have a problem with right wingers. I don't find right wingers to be evil demons. So right. not like owning me you know, because I've never been against. I, I've always been for certain ideas and uh, a way of life, but I don't have any loyalty to any party. So I don't understand how that's some sort of an own. Mm -hmm. So do you worry about uh, the pendulum swinging the other way again? Cause I feel like, you know, we were talking earlier about how stupid the conservatives used to be. And now the liberals are incredibly stupid. I feel like it's just going to swing back the other way again um, because, you know, like, I, I don't care about transgender people or whatever, like they can do what they want, but you know, like when you have guys in the swim team beating women by like 45 seconds, right. And then you have like these crazy vaccine mandates and you have like people trying to ban Mr. Potato head or whatever, or, or not ban Mr. Potato head, but make him, uh, Mr. Androgynous or androgynous potato head or whatever. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, like ban Dr. Su I mean, it's just so stupid. Like, um, you know, I mean, 10 years ago when they uh, were legalizing gay marriage, I was all for that. My sister uh, has a girlfriend, you know, and I'm, I'm totally for everyone to be able to do whatever they want. But culturally, they've just like pushed it so far beyond the way it used to be. And they've, they're like making a ton of people go nuts. And I feel like it's going to swing hard the yeah. other way again. So that's why I've given up on the Republicans and the Democrats, because I feel like this power we have over each other is what causes this pendulum swing back and forth, causes us to hate right. each other. Like, I mean, it's so weird. Like, I mean, uh, you know, I'm an atheist, but I have like really, really good friends who are Christians. And it like those are such ridiculously different ideologies. Like they think I'm going to burn in hell for what I believe. And I think like what they believe is ridiculous, but we get along fine. It has, it doesn't matter at all. But nowadays, like if you're a Republican or a Democrat, 
I mean, that is like sometimes you can't even like go to the same parties because, uh, or you know, yeah. you don't know if someone's vaccinated or like you're afraid <laughs> they're domestic extremist or whatever. So, so ridiculous. I just, yeah. uh, I mean, I'm at the point like we just got to, that, that's why I was saying secession or something like that. Like you were talking, uh, reinstating the 10th Amendment strictly and trying to separate power and keep people away from each other i mean it's the only hope we have because i feel like throwing in with the right they're just gonna <laughs> i feel like in 10 years it's gonna be the same thing the left has done it's just gonna keep going back and forth and i don't know i'm just so sick of it oh i'm sick of it too i totally understand and typically i wouldn't vote i mean i i usually vote third party um mm -hmm. because i do think that either party is just you know it's kind of one and the same and they're both ridiculous and but uh, this time I'm a one issue voter and it is the mandates. I'm just, yep. I cannot live under these mandates. And I, I, so I, I desperately want Republicans to win and, and I can't vote third party because I know that that will not work. You know, we're not, we haven't developed enough to get to ourselves to a point where third party is actually going to win. And, uh, and not only that, but it's like, which third party would I vote for? Because Green Party came out for mandates. They were like, we're so pro, we're, they actually came out staunchly pro mandate. Um, whereas like Democrats didn't, they haven't even said that they're necessarily pro mandate, but Green was like, yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I saw that. I, th I saw that on Twitter when you were like, okay, I'm done or whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, the only party I've ever actually been registered for has been a Green, green and, uh, and yeah, I, I'm like never, I'm totally done with it. done with him after that. But I just I right now I'm a one issue voter and I'm very, very against the mandates. I think this is the issue, the biggest issue of my lifetime mm -hmm. that I think I'll ever see. I at least hope because I hope it never gets worse than this. Um, and so I'm just I have to I have no choice but to vote Republican in order to try to reverse the damage that they're doing. And I've had people criticize that and say, oh, well, you know, Republicans are no different. And, you know, well, your life won't be any better. Yeah, it will be significantly better when the mandates are gone. Like here in LA, you have to show your vaccine passport to go anywhere. If you want to go to the gym, you want to go to a movie theater, you want to go to a restaurant, you have to show a vaccine passport. And the Democrats are talking about making to where you can't even get on a domestic air airliner without having a vaccine passport. College students are being forced into three doses of the vaccine now to go back to school. I mean, kids are being kicked out of school for not having a vaccine. I'm sorry, there's nothing, like, it's not just a wash. Like it's, yeah. oh, it'll be the same under Republicans. No, it wouldn't. This would be very different. And this is a day-to-day -day hindrance on my life. So in a lot of ways, are the two parties the same? Yeah, you know, when it comes to war, when it comes to Julian Assange, when it comes to, you know, corporate, uh, who their corporate overlords are, all of that is one and the same. Even climate change, you know, Democrats act like they're going to do something and they don't, you know, they don't do any. So they act like they're going to, you know, uh, alleviate student debt and they don't really. I mean, a lot right. of the other stuff is all one and the same. But this one thing is very different and it's very much affecting our lives, our day to day lives today. And I need it gone. So, so are you worried um, after the Gavin Newsom recall that nothing's going to change in California? I think he's he should be a bit scared of his reelection. He's he's up for reelection this year. So I think the biggest failing of the Republican Party was that they they put Larry Elder up mm -hmm. um, and he was just not a serious candidate for people. 
But if they if the Republican Party puts an actual serious candidate, somebody like a Glenn Youngkin or somebody like a um, uh, a Ron DeSantis, essentially so, uh, like a serious Republican who's just telling it like it is. Mm-hmm. then I think there is actually a chance that Gavin Newsom loses. I think people in the state are pretty fed up with with uh, the way the vi- I mean, I, I can tell because, you know, I'm, I'm in L.A. where everybody's very, very liberal. And yet people are still not adhering anymore to the mask mandates. They're like over it, you know, mm-hmm. put it on to go inside the grocery store because they have to. But they're supposed to be wearing it everywhere else. And they're not, you know, so I'm just starting to see people relaxing and they're just fed up. And I think if Gavin Newsom continues to, um, you know, especially the school issue, that's exactly what happened in Virginia. They just really did not take the parents seriously. And here in California, they're mandating that children have to be vaccinated to go to school. And yeah, that's, you know, you're messing with mama bear on that one. And (laughs) a lot of women, you know, a lot of parents, they they said, look, I got the vaccine. I, I did it but I'm not going to make my kid do it. And yeah. that's like a, a real source of contention. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I don't think he should think he's too safe. I don't think he should Hillary Clinton it, uh, but he might. And, uh, but we'll see who the Republicans even put forward. But, you know, I get it. I'm, I'm sick of the two parties as well. And I do think that there is a- um, I also I, am not living in LA. Like I would, I might feel different if I were living in LA yeah. <laughs> under that, yeah, that authoritarianism, so. Well, that's, you know, exactly. My dad lives in Idaho. And I, when I tell him I'm voting straight Republican, he thinks I'm a nut, you know, and he's mm-hmm. always been a lifelong Democrat. He's a progressive and, um, and he's like, oh, no, no, you're not going to do that. And I'm like, you're not living under these mandates. You know, you you live under the mandates. And I swear to you, you will vote straight Republican. You won't care who the Republican is. You won't give another Democrat your vote, no matter how, how much you like the Democrat, because they're running on the Democratic ticket. And you just absolutely despise Democrats at this point. And as somebody living under the mandates, living in this madness, and it has destroyed the brains of the people around me. Mm-hmm. And it's ruined it's ruined my relationships. It's not just that I can't go to a restaurant fine, you know, without showing a vaccine passport. It's that my relationships are ruined. You know, I mean, they've they've destroyed my family. People in my family are, you know, uh, absolutely for the mandates, think that people who are unvaccinated should be rounded up and taken places. I mean, they've destroyed the brains of people that I love. And now those people are against, you know, others and, and, um, yeah, I have two relatives who won't see me in person because I'm not fully vaccinated. Um, and I I wonder like, are we going to be able to go back to living with each other after this? I mean, this is, this is like, like you said, it's the most serious thing I've ever been through in my life. And it makes me wonder like, when this finally ends, whenever that is, are we just going to forget it all happened? Or I, I feel like there's going to be permanent damage uh, societally yeah. and relationally. I don't see how we could get over it. I think it's permanent. Unfortunately, I think it's permanent damage. And I think and that is why I that's why I'm so angry. And I just hate Democrats. I hate them. I mean, I cannot because they've ruined my life. I mean, you know, they have. They've destroyed mm. my some of my closest relationships are now ruined. And it's because we had they, especially with me, you know, it's not just about my personal feelings. It's that I'm publicly out there against the mandates. 
And so I have very close relatives in my life who think that I am dangerous, that I am personally now responsible for the deaths of, of hundreds of people, thousands of right. people, because I've been using a platform to speak out. And so it has caused them to despise me. People that have always loved me now hate me. And that has been so damaging and harmful. I paid a real significant, I can't even express how significant of a personal price I've had to pay. It's bad. And um, so I, you know, it's it's been really, they've, they've so my, probably my closest relationship, my closest, closest family relationship is destroyed. And I don't know if I'm ever going to get that person back in my life in the way that I've always had that person in my life since I was born. So I, you know, I, I don't, um, yeah, you know, I, I will not vote for another Democrat as long as I live. I think at this point, unless they absolutely reformed, you know, and totally changed, I just cannot bring myself. I just, I think we're permanently damaged. Yeah. Well, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. You are a hero <laughs> for what you've done. Like, uh, you know, being against it from the beginning and using a large platform to rail against it as your family abandons you and, you know, the progressives abandon you. I just, I mean, it's so much more important that you were against it from the beginning than someone like me. I mean, even if I had the same audience that you do, I'm a libertarian, so it's easy to be against this stuff. It doesn't take anything, <laughs> right. but to be a left winger in California, you know, with a, with a lot of influence and being against it, I just think that's so commendable. And I just really want to thank you. I mean, it, it's because <laughs> you were the only one. You're right. Like, I don't know anyone else who did it from the beginning. A lot of them have flipped now, though, you know, so I oh, yeah. I'm happy to see <laughs> so many have have, you know, finally joined me and I'm no longer alone. But it was a very lonely road for a while there. I was definitely on an island by myself for a long time and I felt very abandoned and I didn't understand how they could all have gotten it so wrong. I mean, I was just uh, I just really didn't understand the, the thinking. And I kept saying, no, guys, the economy is not Wall Street. That's right. not the economy. <laughs> The economy is the the restaurants, the bars, the shops, you know, the people. That's the economy. Wall Street's Wall Street. That's totally different. Yeah. Wall Street is like completely unrepresentative of the economy, in fact. Totally. Like, right. Not even, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's been a it's been a lonely road, but I'm glad I'm not lonely anymore. And even on rising, you know, like for a while I was alone. It was always like yeah. two against one. <laughs> Yeah. And now it's flipped and it's like two against one the other way. <laughs> but yeah. Ryan's coming around, you know, Ryan's coming around a little bit. Like he's starting to say, well, okay, <laughs> okay, maybe. But, um, you know, it's been, it's been, um, so now I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not on a lonely island as much anymore. We're, many of us are together, right? Yeah. Well, keep at it, Kim. Uh, I, I really do appreciate everything you've done. Um, I've got your YouTube and your Twitter linked in the description but is there anything else you got coming up or anywhere other people can follow you or anything else you want to say well um you know i know i've kind of abandoned my channel over the last couple of months i've been really busy with the hill it's been really hard those radars are tough because they take me all day to write like all day and all night because i i the radars the way they work is i'm 100 in charge of the radar so 
they don't change any of it. It's I come up with what I'm going to talk about and I write it. And then the next day I do it and they kind of add in some graphics that I give them, that sort of a thing. So it takes a lot of energy and a lot of time and it's been really draining. But I am committed to um, relaunching my like adding more content onto my channel, not just on, I don't know about YouTube as much because YouTube has been really tough, but Rumble, <laughs> Rock yeah. and other places, um, I'm going to be putting a lot more of my own content back up and, and getting that going just because I don't know what's going on with the hell. And I don't know how much longer I'll be doing it. So I need to kind of ramp back up in these other places. So, so be sure to keep checking. I'm going to put fresh stuff out there. All right. Well, you are always welcome on this show. Thank you for coming back again. I know it's late, but i it's always great talking to you, Kim. Um, no, thank you. Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll see you next time.